Hey, let's pray again. Dear Lord, I just want to pray over these people that are here. Um, I can't see their hearts, but you can. I don't know exactly what's on their mind. I pray if it is uh, if it's a burden, um, they would both give it to you and they would have faith that you will take it um, uh, and, and turn it into uh, your desire for their life. Because uh, we know that if we are yours, there, there are no accidents and you have a purpose for, for all that's going on in our lives. And dear Lord, if uh, there's anything that's, that's blocking their hearts, uh, be it stress, be it the day, uh, be it fatigue, uh, I pray that you would just uh, both push that aside, open our hearts, uh, let us find rest in you, um, both physical and emotional, um, where we can know that uh, and you've, you've covered us, you've done what has to be done, uh, and we, we don't have to live in an anxiety or fear or doubt. So give us that peace, give us that serenity, give us that confidence tonight. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Um, one thing before I forget, next Wednesday, uh, we are doing a uh, community-wide talk, uh, as in uh, a talk that's really open to the community. Uh, essentially, every Wednesday night is. However, uh, this next week, Dr. Kathy Philippi is coming, and she's taught at different schools in the area uh, on the topic of, um, and we titled this, she didn't, but human sexuality uh, pushing for purity in our teens. Uh, so I know I've, I've talked to folks uh, around the different schools, uh, and they will be here. So a lot of folks uh, who are not from Bellwether will be here, but we invite all of you um, Obviously, if you have other folks that, uh, that you think this topic would be of interest, please invite them to come. It'll be the same time, 6 o'clock. Uh, it'll be different. It's, it's really just going to be her uh, giving her talk. Uh, but I know it'll be powerful and informative. Uh, so also, be, please be praying about that. Pray for her. Uh, pray for us as a church uh, that we can give more talks like this for the, the wider city uh, and for uh, the families uh, that live here. Tonight, we are looking at a... Uh, well, we're going to... Look at several passages, several verses. It's going to start in Genesis 1, so you can just actually just go there. But I want to begin with a couple questions for y'all. Uh, the first one would be, uh, it's very simple, uh, why are you here? Uh, now, uh, there are people who come here that aren't here tonight, so you, know, you can ask that broadly, like, why would you come here tonight? Uh, I don't think you just come to hear me, or you don't just come to sing, or you don't even just come to pray. Uh, although there's a combination of that, I think you're come to look into God's Word. But I think there's an important reason uh, all of us gather at church, really any church event, uh, I believe, and that's for relationships. Uh, I hope you come here for relationships. I hope that we can provide community when you walk through the door, uh, whether you know someone or whether you don't, uh, and you see them, and it's a, a person who would care for you, encourage you, um, lift you up now in the middle of the week. I hope that this can be a place tonight, uh, every Wednesday night, that relationships are formed. And we hope, as a staff, that you come for relationships, and relationships are built here. But that relationships are also built in groups. Relationships are also built on Sunday mornings. Relationships take time. But I really hope that you come to church for relationships. Above all, a relationship with Christ. Uh, we call this time Equip. 
and that we want to equip you uh, with tools that would help you defend your faith uh, and that would help you grow in your faith. And, and I know for me, I want that. And I believe you all do too. But uh, God put a memory on my heart. Uh, it happened about uh, 15 years ago. So way before seminary, way before thinking about seminary. But this was one of the seeds that led me to seminary. And I was talking with a guy, a buddy, who had a friend, so a friend of a friend, one of those type deals, Ernest. Uh, and I said, well, why is this guy, and the friend of a friend was going to seminary. And I said, why is he going to seminary? And my buddy said, well, you know, he's a Christian. I was like, yeah, but why is he going to seminary? He said, well, his faith is going to be the basis of his life. Well, yeah, so is mine. And he said, well, so he wants to know as much about it as he can if it's going to be the foundation of his life. And to this day, that has impacted me more than, than many statements people have said. It's like, well, if it's the foundation of your life, then don't you just want to learn as much about it as you can, grow as much about it as you can. And, and what I, I would like for our church, people saying, this is the foundation of my life. That doesn't mean everybody goes to seminary, but some should. Not necessarily be pastors or missionaries, but some should. But it is saying, like, this is, this is my core. Christ is my foundation. And, and if that's the case, then, then I really believe, I mean, your whole life is, is literally sculpted around uh, learning and growing with Christian believers, uh, growing with non-Christians and, and sharing your faith. And that doesn't mean, you know, you know, saying, if you died tonight, where would you go? But like in conversation, in relationship. But I want this to be the foundation of our lives, growing in relationship and saying, you know, this is it. So I want to know and learn as, as much as I can. So I hope that that is a, uh, um, I hope that that's something that, that you'll just think about. Is it the foundation of my life? Um, and if it is, you know, what are you going to do about it? I also think, before I get into the scripture, that uh, we as humans, there are two things that are innate, that's like in our DNA. Uh, that's just how we are wired, okay? One of them is, we see it every weekend in the fall, we want to win. Right, Dr. Wolf? We want to win. We want to win. We see this as thousand flood fields and take down goalposts. Uh, we see this as, uh, not only in football. I'm a baseball fanatic. I'm like one of the, you know, I don't know, nine or ten in the state that watch the baseball playoffs. But like when the baseball team, you know, your team wins, you want to win. And it's not just in football or baseball or sports. We want to win against other people. You ever thought about that? Like, like in our relationships, uh, if you are dating, I mean, some of us are married, if you're dating, and, and let's say then you're not dating, uh, often you want to say, well, I want to have the upper hand in this uh, deal, breakup, whatever. That happens. In a marriage, hey, I want to have the upper hand in the argument. I want to have my way. I want to win. We may not call it win, but we want to win. We want to be right. Now, where does that come from? Uh, I'd call it sin. The desire to win is sin. And and actually, the more we know about uh, Christ, about our faith, I believe the more we should try to curb this desire to win over and against other people. We can see it in organizations. We can see it in work. We can see it in competitions. There is this desire to be over and above other people. That's innate. It's, It's part of the sin. Now, you're saying, oh, so you mean... Running on the football field, you know, winning is sinful. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's, you know, that's joyful. God gives sports, all that. Look, I'm a fanatic. Uh, I am saying, though, that can be used in the wrong way to win over other people. 
And if you don't kind of curb that appetite, I'll use that word, uh, it can control you. The second thing that's innate about us, in us, is this desire for relationships. Uh, nobody, I don't think you might here, wants to be alone. Now, you may be the type that like, hey, I, I like three, four, or five friends that are just close, and that's, that's my deal. Or you may say, hey, I want you know, 20 to 30 broad friends, and I like a lot more people. But I've never met anyone who says, man, I just want to be alone the rest of my life. And some of you, you know, probably say, well, I, I've known misers like that. But they really never started off saying, man, I want to be a miser for the rest of my life. Usually there's bitterness that's grown, and they, they still really never want to be alone. We don't want to be alone. We want to be in relationship. We want to have friends. Uh, we want to have people to share life with. That is innate. And I already mentioned this, but, you know, the most conflict you see, this desire to win and this desire to be in relationship is in a marriage. You know that? Because you want to be together, and you want to be in a relationship, but then you're like, well, I want my way. These are always one of the biggest challenges. Can I get an amen? Or maybe you're like, no, that's not right. I would say amen to that. Amen. They are always button heads. This desire to be right versus, well, I love you, but I want my way. I love, you know, that's pretty much how marriage can be. And so that desire, that appetite to, let's just call it win, is, is part of our sinful nature. But that desire to be in relationship is given to us by God. Genesis tells us, and we'll see this, that we're created in the image of God. So if we are wired for a relationship, that means God is a relationship. So tonight I'm talking about the Trinity. Uh, a lot of uh, our Wednesday nights about what we believe as a church. We believe in the Trinity. Uh, now, the Trinity is something that is like, it's not the easiest thing to explain. Uh, and I've never uh, honestly really grasped it by listening to people uh, but I did, you know, really see it one time when I saw a picture. And now I'm no artist. Uh, I, I say this, that my, my mom and dad screwed me up as a kid because I think I'm naturally left-handed. And they put, like, pencils and forks in my right hand. And so it just, anyway, I think it just messed me up. So I can't draw. I can't really write. But I drew this image, which helped me a lot. And I don't know if it'll help you, but at least I'm going to give it a shot. The Trinity, okay? And it is important. I can say, well, why is the Trinity important? Or, you know, can't we talk about, I don't know, money? Or maybe I should come next week about sex. Yes. But if you want to know God and understand Him and how He pertains to our life and growing, you've got to know God as the Trinity, God in relationship. This picture is in a Bible, a big ESV study Bible. Some of y'all have it. It's in the Bible, and it, to me, it's the clearest um, Clearest depiction of God as triune, or God as a trinity. So what it says is, you know, here's the Father, the Son, the Spirit. But the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But all three are God. I'm just curious, does this picture help anybody? Just nod. If it doesn't, shake. It's okay. You're not going to offend me. It helps me a lot. And... The reason it does is because the Trinity can be so hard to explain and really so hard to conceive. I was always told it, and something that's very wrong, y'all may have heard this, growing up, you know, the Trinity's really, it's kind of like H2O, you know, and you can have the fluid and you can have the ice and you have the gas. That's not what the Trinity is because that's all the same substance. These are different. Again, Father, not the Spirit. Father, not the Son. Son, not the Spirit. All are individuals, but they're 
God at the same time. They're one God, three persons. Uh, you're like, okay, how do you explain that? Well, that's taken some time over the thousands of years. But again, this picture, and I'm just going to keep it up there the rest of the talk, um, and you can draw it. It has helped me at least uh, envision who our God is that we worship. Now, a couple things I want you to know before we get into Scripture about the Trinity. Here's, they're the same essence, but different functions. So same divine ex- essence, divinity, they're all God, but they have different functions, okay? Uh, they are uh, the same, uh, they're the same nature, but they have different roles to play. Let me say it again, same nature, different roles. We're going to flesh this out, okay? The role of the Father, role of the Son, role of the Spirit. Same nature, same essence, different role, different function, okay? So get your Bibles out. We're going to go through a fair bit of Scripture tonight to see the Trinity in Scripture. A lot of us, uh, we look at Scripture, we see God the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you some verses that highlight all three, okay? First, let's Genesis 1. Now, you most often see the Trinity in the New Testament. And that's where our God, as three persons, is most fully fleshed out. But we get hints of it in the Old Testament, beginning all the way at the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 2. I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 27, 26 and 27. Verse 2 says, The earth was without void, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All right, so now in Hebrew, Spirit of God, uh, that's not God the Father. That's not the Son. That would be thought of as the Holy Spirit. So uh, the Spirit who is with us now, uh, the Spirit who uh, pleads to God for you in your prayers, uh, the Spirit uh, that helps reconcile relationships amongst us, or amongst marriages, before what we know of as creation was created, the Spirit of God was there. To me, that's pretty heavy. To me, that gives me cold chills. That doesn't mean you have to get cold chills in that. But that the same Spirit who's here now, before creation was created, He was there, hovering over the waters. And it says God created. This is, in Hebrew, God the Father. So we don't see the Son in this, but we have two Right here at the opening of the Bible. God the Father and the Spirit. Now, if you skip down to verse 26 and 27, he does his creation, plants, land, separates uh, the oceans. And then his greatest creation, God says, verse 26, let us make man in, the plural, our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So man, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, some folks have said, and this is, uh, this is a longer discussion for tonight. It was like, you know, why were we created? Why were the heavens created? Why was the world created? Was it like, was it like God bored? No. Uh, did God need humans to, like, you know, pacify his loneliness? No. Why? Because before everything was that in our finite minds can fathom, there was a relationship. And it wasn't just two. It was three. 
And there were three people as one God in relationship. And so you're like, well, why, you know, why were we created? Well, part of that is a mystery. I believe he's created for his glory, to glorify God. And that we, as men and women, were created to serve him, glorify him with our lives. My son Jack asked me, you know, you always get the deep questions from seven-year-olds or five-year-olds. And he's like, you know, you know, Dad, you know, where was God when the world was created? Well, Jack, I mean, fairly easy. God created. It's like, well, who created God? Well, nobody created God. Well, then how did he? It's like, you know, he was just there, Jack. And he's like, well, how was he just there? Well, he was just, you know, he was there. And so you got to kind of go on some faith there. I mean, again, finite minds that we have, you know, before time, before cosmos, there were three. One God, right here. One God and three persons in a relationship. So his creation, we have the image of God on us. We wouldn't be in a relationship. Now, the fall and all that started messing up and this desire to win and to be our own God and to put ourselves on the throne. That's not what tonight is about. Tonight's about how God is the Trinity. So another place where actually, and this is really fascinating. I'm not going to throw all the scriptures out. Chris will enjoy this though. The Trinity's really hinted at in the Psalms. And you don't pick up on it because you can easily just read, skip over it. But there are some Psalms, and I'm just going to give one, Psalm 45, Psalm 45, where uh, David is writing, and it's almost like he has this, uh, and this is my idea, so this is not scripture here, but it's almost like he has this glimpse of God as triune, even though it wasn't fully fleshed out in his writings, if that makes sense. Because there are hints of the Trinity in the Psalms. And this... uh, these couple verses in Psalm 45, Psalm 6 and 7, look at, the, um, look at literally the word play here, okay? Verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, get this, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. You're like, okay, it was just God three times. No, it wasn't. Uh, In the Hebrew, the two gods in verse 7, it's two different words here. Talking about two different peoples. And the first God in verse 7 is the same word as the first God in verse 6 in the Hebrew. Therefore, O God, he's talking to God. And this would be, to me at least, okay, and this this is me talking, not scripture, but to me that is like the king as Jesus. Therefore, God, your God as in your father. And there are hints of this relationship, this triune relationship, through the Psalms. Let's skip to the New Testament, okay? And that is where we fully see three parts of the Trinity, all fleshed out. And the best, in my opinion, again, may always say that, uh, is in the baptism of Jesus. And that is where we have the most literal, uh, the biggest picture of the three persons of the Trinity. Matthew 3 Verse 16 and 17, what it says is when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, There is no better uh, literal, physical depiction of the Trinity You have Jesus, God becoming flesh, the incarnation, being baptized, the voice of God, 
saying, this is my son, and the spirit coming as a dove. You get all three right there. Um, the same three as one God before the beginning of time. They were together. And I always like to say, you know, before Jesus came to earth as Jesus, he was not called Jesus. He was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He was named Jesus as a human being. Before then, he was the Son of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All in this relationship, this relationship of beauty, and here it is on earth. Uh, we are commanded to worship God as Trinity. We're commanded to go and baptize and teach. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus doesn't just say, go and baptize in my name. He doesn't say, just go and teach uh, everything I have taught. He does, but he says more than that. He doesn't just say, go and tell people to worship God. He specifically lays out, and this is what Lee heard a couple weeks ago as she was baptized. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples, Jesus says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when, sometimes, when someone begins a relationship with God, the beginning of that baptism, it begins, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And now I know we hear that in Sunday school, like when we grow up, and I know you're like, man, I got that, you know, but like, it's not just God, it's not even just Jesus. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When I marry people, it's an honor to marry folks, but I say, you know, you're married now in the presence of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And one of the verse I want to share, this is in 1 Corinthians 12. So skip over a little bit more. And this is taught, we've actually covered this passage before about gifts, that y'all all have a gift. You should know that if you hear me. It's one of my big passions. Everybody's got a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul highlights the gift people have in a church and ties that to the Trinity. Says 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That would be Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. The Spirit empowers Jesus, Lord empowers, and God, the Trinity working. So even though the Holy Spirit is here now and most present on earth, Holy Spirit is God, and as He is God, the Father is God, and the Son is God. Now then, you're like, okay, that's Scripture, but like, you know, like, what does all this matter? Well, one thing it matters for your faith, uh, to know it, like to know it in, in a deeper way, to be equipped when people say, well, I, this whole Christianity thing, what, well, is God the Father that created, well, Jesus, but to know it even more, uh, and it is a little deeper, I mean, thinking this and thinking, well, how does this, you know, flesh out? You have to know it that our faith is a relationship, a relationship with Christ, who is in a relationship with his Father and the Spirit. But there are different roles. And this really opened up my mind, and, and I don't know if this gives more clarity, but when I, I thought about and was taught about the different roles of the Trinity, again, same God, but the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Spirit, same essence, same nature, different roles, different functions. Like, oh, what are you talking about? Here you go. God the Father has a role. He creates. He creates. He plans. This is kind of his plan. He orchestrates. He directs. 
He sins. What's the most famous verse? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, what, somebody? Sent or gave his own son. He sent. He gave his own son. So he sent. So the Father plans, directs, creates, sins. That's his role. So what's Jesus about? Well, first off, you know, Jesus, uh, the Father didn't die on the cross. The Son didn't die on the, I mean, the Spirit didn't die on the cross. The Son, Jesus, died on the cross. Jesus' role is he follows the will of the Father. He obeys. He gives us a model to obey. He carries out the will of the Father. And it was him, and while we do focus rightly so much on Jesus, it, because it was Jesus, the Son, who gave his life, who left the throne and glory of heaven to come to us and die for us on the cross. That was his role. What's the Spirit's role? Well, the Spirit's always been present. The Spirit was always present back in Genesis 1. But the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to be fully present in the world today after Pentecost. Pentecost being after Jesus ascended, the Spirit was sent. And I always like to say this, you know, Jesus, uh, a lot of time he gets the most uh, PR from the church, and rightly so. But he spent the, the least amount of time as the person of the Trinity on earth. You had thousands and thousands of years before Jesus that the Father was the main guy that people worshiped, talked to. Then you had Jesus had 33 years. And now for over 2,000 years, the person of the Trinity, most present on earth, is the Holy Spirit. Which, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. So they have different roles, but they're still one. They're united. Now you could say, all right, that's great, different roles, they're different, but how can you have unity in diversity? How can they be united? Well, that's pretty simple. Like, well, how is it simple? Well, it happens, you see it every Saturday in the fall, because there's one team that we root for in many parts, right? And not everybody can be a wide receiver. Not everybody can play quarterback. Uh, Not everybody can play guard or linebacker. But they, well, if they're going to be a winning, they've got, they got to be united. See that? You see it in a meal. You see it in a meal. I mean, let's think of, well, I'm not yours. I'm going to think of my, my favorite meal. One of my favorite meals in Jackson is filet at Chapley's, uh, medium rare, with crab meat on the side. Right, Boyd? You tracking with me? Uh, with a glass of, I don't know if it's a church word I can use, a glass of something, okay? But it, it ties together. I mean, the glass of something is not the steak, but they're united in that meal. And the, the, uh, the crab, you know, it all, it comes together, it's one meal, but they're different parts. It's another example. Okay, Chris, a band, or for, you know, some highfalutin folks, like a symphony. There's unity in the music, but they're different parts. There's unity in diversity. A church, us here, us tonight, our gathering here. I mean, nobody's the same here. I mean, I can't do what uh, Chris does. I can't do what Jen does. I can't be in a relationship as some of y'all are. Um, but we are united as a church family. It's unity and diversity. A marriage. Now we whittle it down to two. We're definitely not the same. Right, Waits? Was John. Definitely not the same. But the beauty of marriage is that we see in it. We see in marriage, you know, Trinity, we see, in, we see in life, we see in creation from a meal, a team, music. You see examples of this everywhere. If we just open up our eyes, because why? Creation is made the image of God. What's the image of God right here? 
And you see it. In all these little things that we can take for granted, there's unity in diversity. Now, real quick before we finish, two things. One, what the Trinity is not. It's important to know, because you could, just for clarity's sake, the Trinity is not, it's not three separate gods. Okay? It's not, it's God, it's like we say God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but these are not three. It's not three gods, one God. Another thing the Trinity is not, is not just one God. That's the H2O deal. And you may have heard, again, wrongly, I always heard, it's just like H2O, you know. It's frozen, it's fluid, liquid, and it's, yeah, no, that's H2O, it's one. They're different persons, one God. And then the last thing it's not, and this is actually, if you like really get into this stuff, this has been a, um, a philosophy or a debate throughout the centuries. Some people believe the Son and the Spirit were created at a later date. It's not true. Son, all the way at the beginning. Spirit, all the way at the beginning. They were there. Okay? So what is the Trinity? Again, this picture I think is the best depiction. Same essence, same nature, Different roles, different functions. Last thing I'll say is, this will take just a minute. All right, well, how does this play out in our lives? Well, I've already spelled out several ways it can play out in our lives. But how does this, you're like, man, Trinity. I mean, I'm really thinking about, you know, my marriage. I'm thinking about my job. I'm thinking about um, lots of things. I mean, Trinity, come on, man, not very practical. Very practical. You're like, how is this? Well, first off, it's different than every other religion. Because in no other religion did God become flesh. So in Christianity, what the Trinity gives us is that we see God uh, as Jesus. That he lived amongst us. He was a historical person, a fact. God came to us to relate to us, to be human. Fully God, fully human. What else? Well, one other verse, and this is actually... I just picked up this verse studying Hebrews, look at this, Hebrews 9, 14. I really want you to see this. If we didn't have the Trinity, Jesus could not have died on the cross. If we didn't have the Trinity, we could not be, as we call, saved. Okay, you're like, well, didn't, wasn't it Jesus? No, it was all three. Look at this, Hebrews 9, 14. It's a powerful verse. It's how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, Holy Spirit, Offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve God. Like, how is that powerful? It's powerful because Jesus could not have done what he did without the Spirit, and he had to do it for God. He couldn't have done it unless God sent him. So, for us to be saved, for us to see heaven, you got to have this. For us to see heaven, you got to have this. How else is it practical? We have a God of relationship. You want to grow in relationship? You want to be in relationship? We have a God that's in relationship. You worship a God that's in relationship. You don't just worship one higher being power. It's a relationship. And it gives us a model for our marriages, for our friendships, for our church family, for our work relationships. Now, and they're not going to be as close as maybe, you know, your best friend, hopefully not your marriage. That could be problematic. But it is a model for all relationships. And as Christians, we need to get this. Um, we really need to get this. So tonight, we're going to close. I don't know if you're here and you feel alone, but I know all of us have felt lonely before. We serve God, a God who is here right now, who is in relationship and wants a deeper relationship with you. And through that relationship, wants to grow your relationships, marriage, friendships, 
families, and you can. You can be in a relationship with him because he is in this cosmic, divine, yet very real and very practical and very present uh, relationship with us. I don't want you to be alone. We don't want you to be alone at Bellwether. Last thing I'd say, you want to have victory. It begins in a relationship, relationship with Christ, who can give you victory in all your relationships and joy and purpose. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, uh, help us to, I just know this in our minds, but believe in our hearts and then live it in our lives, uh, that you love us. Why do you love us? Because you are love. You're in a loving relationship. And dear Lord, you don't want us to be alone. You want to draw us to yourself. Do that more and more and over and over so that we can have true victory in Christ, true joy, and our real family, which is your church. Thank you for your church here tonight. I pray for the relationships here, the marriages here. We don't want anybody to feel alone here. Help them not to feel alone. Let them know your spirit is present. This family is present for them. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.